0: Hi again everybody, I'm Dan Horde and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast, the All I Need Addition as the 0-2 Bengals head to New York badly in need of a victory as they face the 1-1 New York Jets. Coming up, I'll be joined by Ian Eagle from CBS Sports, who called that wild season opener against the Steelers and will be in the booth this Sunday in the Meadowlands. Running back Samaje Pirine joins me to discuss something he did against the Cowboys last week that wowed coaches and teammates. I'll discuss the Bengals' offensive line issues with Dave Lapham. And finally, it's our Know the Foe segment as we visit with Rich Samini, who covers the Jets for ESPN. The Bengals Booth podcast is presented by AltaFiber, future-proof fiber internet capable of delivering multi-gigabit speeds designed to take your home, business, and community to a new level. Elevate your connection with Alta Fiber. Now, here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing, wherever you get your podcasts. It's the greatest thing since, the rule of three. I love grilling, and I was recently introduced to the rule of three when grilling steak. First, set up a two-zone cooking system where one side of your grill has direct heat And the other side has indirect heat. If you're cooking with charcoal, that means you pile all the charcoal on one side. If you're cooking with gas, one set of burners will be on medium-high and the other will be on low. Here's where the rule of three comes in. You cook the steak over direct heat for three minutes. Then flip it over and cook the other side over direct heat for three more minutes. That gives the steak a great sear. Then follow the same formula over indirect heat. Three minutes on one side and three on the other. Remove the steak from the grill, let it rest for five minutes, and the result is juicy, mouth-watering perfection. But don't take it from me. Try it yourself with a rule of three. Now, let's look ahead to Sunday's game against the Jets, beginning with one of my favorite broadcasters. He called the Bengals' season opener, and he will be back in the booth for CBS this Sunday, my pal, Ian Eagle. So that season opening game was a broadcaster's dream although Bengals fans obviously did not like the finish. You had a classic what is happening here call uh, in overtime on a missed Steelers field goal but Ian was that one of the wackier final stretches of a game you've had in a while.
1: Dan, I've been doing this a long time now. It's 25 years at CBS, and I don't know if I could come up with another roller coaster ride type of finish. I've had game winners, I've had Hail Marys, I've had flea flickers, but the sequence of events that led to where we ultimately got to, I'm not sure anybody could have possibly imagined it. It's rare that long snappers become parts of the narrative and the conversation. And we realized very much in the moment that this could play a big role in the final, and it did. Uh, For Cincinnati, obviously, that's a heartbreaking loss. But from a broadcaster's point of view, it had just about everything that you look for in these week one mysteries, because that's what it feels like every year in the NFL. And we will never take the long snapper for granted again.
0: Let's talk about the Bengals through two games. They've surrendered 13 sacks. They obviously addressed the offensive line in the offseason. Do you consider that to still be the biggest
1: question mark? I think it was the biggest question mark coming into the season. Clearly, it's still an issue. I wouldn't pin everything on the offensive line. I think when you break things down and try to figure out how to make it better, it's a lot of different parts. Running game has to be better. I think there's probably a way to create a bit more in play action, in movement, in trying to put Burrow in positions where it's not all on his shoulders at all times, and they're going to get there. There's too much talent. There's too much belief in that locker room. There's too much shared success from last year for it to completely evaporate. But what ends up happening is every year in the NFL, you get this very strong reminder. It's hard to win. It's hard to win games. And when you have it rolling, like the Bengals did last season, it's hard to imagine not seeing things go smoothly and having everything work out the way that you think it's supposed to. This is a league where you enjoy success but you also have to deal with adversity, and the Bengals right now, they're in the second part of that equation. They're trying to figure out how to bounce back from these adverse results. There's no such
0: thing as a must-win game in week three, but there are critical games, particularly after an 0-2 start. How critical is this game for Cincinnati, in your opinion?
1: Well, you just look at the numbers, Dan, and over the course of NFL history since the merger, if you start 0-3, you have a 2.5 percent chance of making the playoffs can it happen yes does it happen often no so you need to win you need to get that feeling back uh, a just for your own locker room and for the guys and the staff to experience it and then secondly the mathematics the stats don't lie you put yourself in an 0-3 hole it's going to be very difficult to climb out of this division still very much up in the air Pittsburgh trying to figure things out Cleveland uh, clearly has dealt with a great deal of drama coming off among the worst losses I've ever seen in week two and Baltimore a team whose identity was very much entrenched in our brains as NFL observers now Uh, redefining who they are just a little bit. So the division's up for grabs. You gotta win football games to be part of the mix. We're chatting with Ian Eagle. Let's
0: talk about the Jets. The Jets were the team that handed Cleveland that unbelievable loss uh, last week, scoring 14 points in the last minute and a half. They only won four games last year. They're one and one this year. Joe Flacco's playing better. What stands out to you about the Jets
1: through two games? an injection of youth more than anything else. They desperately needed an impact draft class, and they've gotten it. With Wilson, who emerged last week, and certainly there are Ohio fans that are very familiar with his work, with Sauce Gardner, who you know quite well, and Cincinnati fans know quite well, they just needed legit talent. Guys that step onto that field, and you know, on first glance, that they're going to actually be good pros, that you don't have to worry about what they're going to be in the next five to seven years. Uh, Brees Hall, same deal, really talented running back out of Iowa State who was highly productive. And you're seeing that at this level, his subtle movement, his burst, uh, his abilities in both running the football and catching the ball, uh, that's apparent they desperately needed young players to step forward and they've gotten it in the first two weeks they're seeing results they know they're a better team than they were a year ago but it's hard to evaluate them until zach wilson's under center and until their franchise quarterback is gaining the necessary experience just like bengal's fans needed to see it with joe burrow jets fans need to see it with zach wilson the injured right knee suffered on the second possession of the preseason that's curtailed the timetable a bit but that's why joe flacco was brought in veteran presence been through everything experienced and can still throw the football around a little bit that was a huge win for their team the question can they back it up and sustain success that's tough to do in this league you typically visit with some players and coaches before you call a bengals game is
0: there anybody in particular on the roster on the coaching staff that you look forward to talking to
1: Yeah, I got to tell you, Jamar Chase in just one year has come a very long way. When we sat down with him his rookie season, I think there was still the feeling out process. A, he didn't know quite the success level that he was going to have. So there might be that trepidation of being yourself until you have the success to back it up. But this year, sitting down with him week one, what a pleasure, really smart, clearly mature understands what the job is what it entails i think he is already one of the leaders on this team he's going to emerge as an even bigger leader because of his production and because of the way that he carries himself Uh, i just think that uh, he's the whole package and the bengals are fortunate to have him and i think he wants to be great and i know that's an assumption in this league everybody wants to be great there's another level of dedication that's required to be among the best. And I think he happens to have that gene and that attribute that's gonna put him above the rest. Very well put.
0: In 25 years of doing this, is there anybody league-wide in those meetings that stands out as the all-time best?
1: Peyton Manning was the first player I talked to When I got the CBS job, Dan, 1998, I did his NFL debut. It happened to be my CBS debut with Mark May, Indianapolis, Miami, Dan Marino, the QB for the Dolphins, and Peyton Manning making his first NFL start. We have our production meeting. First guy we meet with, Peyton walks in the room. First of all, he's bigger than you think. He walks in the room and you're like, oh, wow, he's legitimately six foot five. He filled out over the course of his career. But he extends his hand and says, hey, Ian, I'm Peyton Manning. Nice to meet you. So he, he knows my name. That means that he did a little research ahead of time and there was a thoroughness and attention to detail. And his answers, even then, I'm filling up my yellow pad. I've got 10, 12 things that I can use on the broadcast. And he never disappointed in all those years. He might be the only NFL player that called me by my name and it just happened to be the first one in 25 years of doing it. But I think if you were gonna put a hall of fame together of production meeting interviews, Peyton Manning is a first ballot hall of famer. All right, final question
0: for Ian Eagle and it's a personal one. Your parents were entertainers. Your dad was an actor and a comedian. Your mom was a singer. When you were a little kid, at least some of the times you are part of their act. I want to know how old you were, what the costume was, and what the act consisted of.
1: Dan, hard hitting. (laughs) These these are the answers the people want to know. I was six years old. I was the last part of their act for about 10 months, and then I retired. It was an emotional ceremony where I ended my reign in entertainment. My act was five minutes long. It consisted of impressions, Howard Cosell conducting interviews with Muhammad Ali, W.C. Fields. Uh, This was very topical humor at the time, 1975. And my parents dressed me in a three-piece suit. Three-piece suit. Dan, uh, (laughs) social services came to our apartment about six months afterwards to question my parents as to whether or not they were putting me on the right track for life success. They say you can find
0: everything on YouTube. There is no amount of money I wouldn't pay to see six-year-old Iron Eagle in his three-piece suit doing his five-minute act. Did
1: I mention it was brown? The suit was brown. And Dan, last part, I killed. Ryan's dad, Jack
0: Eagle, starred in a famous Super Bowl commercial in the 1970s. He played a monk, Brother Dominic, who was assigned to make 500 copies of a handwritten document. After sneaking away from the monastery to use a Xerox copy machine, he returns quickly with a giant stack of copies and a fellow monk says, it's a miracle. It was voted one of the top 10 Super Bowl commercials of all time. The Bengals Booth podcast is presented by Bengals Picks and Ultimate Bengals. They're free to play with tickets and signed merchandise up for grabs. Find both inside the Bengals app. The Bengals players and coaches met with the media on Wednesday, and I felt like a time machine had taken me to Green Bay in 2014 when the Packers started the season one and two, and Aaron Rodgers said, Five letters for everybody out there in Packerland. R-E-L-A-X, relax. Rodgers and the Packers backed it up by finishing that season 12-4. and 4. Well, Joe Burrow has a similar message for Bengals fans after two straight losses to begin the season. Everyone is, is frustrated, but
2: like I said, we're not panicking. Two games in, we got 15 games left. It's all just take a deep breath and relax. We're, uh, we're gonna be fine. We've got to go out and play well this week and get a win. Can't go down 0-3. But like I said, we're not panicking. We're focused on one week at a time. And so we're going to go out there and get our, get our best shot this week. We're going to have a great game plan. We're going to execute it well. and we got great players, great coaches understand our, our plan and know what we need to do to fix it. We did it last year. We were in here talking about the same exact stuff several times last year, and everyone saw how it worked out. So you know, we're, we're focused on getting it right, getting better, but uh, like I said, no panic. A lot of urgency, but no panic.
0: Clearly that no panic message came from the top as Zach Taylor made nearly identical comments.
3: We sense panic from others, and that's just not what's happening for us. So I think sometimes it's the easiest thing to say, just to tell everybody to calm down. We're okay. We've, we, we're a good football team. Um, we'll get to where we need to be. And uh, it's just about going and having a great Wednesday. That, that's really What we are focused on today, having tremendous energy, understanding the plan, asking questions of the plan, going out there and and having our best Wednesday we can possibly have to put ourselves in a great position to go have a great Thursday and continue to piggyback on that and just gain some momentum, find our first win, and then take a deep breath and continue to get the ball rolling.
0: If you go back to last season and don't count the regular season finale where Coach Taylor rested his starters, the Bengals' last seven games have come down to the final minute. Before the Super Bowl, Last-second interceptions and dramatic field goals allowed the Bengals to win. But in the Super Bowl and the first two games of this year, the defense played well but could not get a stop when the game was on the line, and the other team won in dramatic fashion. I discussed it with Dave Lapham.
4: For the sake of two plays, it could be 2-0. and oh, Literally, one, one play in either game, and they're 2-0. And, oh. and the truth is... They still would have the problems that they have to rectify, but it's a much easier pill to swallow when you're 2-0 as opposed to 0-2. And, and, and that's the problem, and that, that's why everybody's like, oh my gosh, this guy's falling, what's going on? Because the expectations after finishing the way they finished, but like you described, Dan, they were winning games down the stretch and through the playoffs this way, yeah. but they were finishing them. They were the ones kicking the game-winning field goals instead of the other team kicking game-winning field goals against them. It's just a fine line, it's razor thin. And when you when you kind of tightrope that kind of a line, you know, th- this kind of thing can, uh, can take place. There's, there's no two ways about it. That is life in the National Football League.
0: Life in the NFL also includes injuries, and we learned on Wednesday that tight end Drew Sample is going to have knee surgery and will be out of action for months, if not the entire year. Devin Asiasi, who has claimed off waivers from New England just before the start of the season, is expected to join Hayden Hurst and Mitchell Wilcox as the Bengals' active tight ends. One of Drew Sample's strengths is blocking. And when he left the game in Dallas, one of the guys who helped fill his role was running back Samaje Pirine. In fact, if you watched the two-point conversion pass to Tyler Boyd, Pirine wound up having to block Cowboys star Micah Parsons one-on-one and handled him like he was an all-pro tackle.
3: It's not why you call the play to, to, to match up a running back on Micah Parsons. I promise you that. You know, a guy can line up on the left side of the entirety of the drive and then, all of a sudden, be on the right, and and you just got to call the protection the way you want to call it, um, trying to trying to help everybody there, and and uh, just the way it worked out, he he lined up outside Samajay, and Samajay did a great job holding him off, refitting his hands, um, so it, that's just what he, a veteran player like him brings to the table. Samajay did not practice that, you know that was that was Drew Sample in Hayden, and uh, so Samajay gets thrown into the fire. He's got a halftime wearing the O2 package and do a good job executing a unique play down there in the goal line that was really just meant for inside the three. And uh, steps up, does it. Initially maybe lined up wrong, but but got it fixed, tightened down. I was a little concerned there for a moment. Um, lines up right and then and then just blocks his tail off for you know five seconds or whatever it seemed like and, and uh, allowed for us to tie the game.
0: I talked to P. Ryan about that block, the team's 0-2 start, and the final offensive play of the Super Bowl this week. Let's start with the two-point conversion last week against the Dallas Cowboys. You had the uh, assignment of blocking Micah Parsons one-on-one and did a great job. Gave Joe plenty of time to throw that ball. Describe that process when you know that you're matched up against that guy and you've got to keep him away from your quarterback.
2: Blocking is 90% effort and 10% technique. So just gave everything that I had and uh, came out on the winning side of it. How does that satisfaction compare to a big play with the ball? A big play is a big play, whether it's blocking, whether it's uh, you actually doing it. So um, you know the the end result is what what we wanted it to be. So uh, I can never complain about that. Do you consider blocking to be one of your strengths? I take pride in it. So you know, um, to be able to block uh, block an elite player like that for. As long as I did, you know it was a uh, it was a definite win for me. Was that enjoyable to see again when you guys watched tape on Monday? I mean, I I guess it was cool that they showed it, <laughs> but you know it was just uh, at the end of the day. It's just me, you know, doing whatever I have to do to help the team, be in a position to win the game. We're visiting with Samaj
0: P. Ryan. The team has dropped the first two games on walk-off field goals of 50-plus yards. How much of a gut punch has that been?
2: Um, You never want to lose whether it's getting blown out or whether it's, uh, like you said, walk-off field goals. So um, it's unfortunate, but, um, you know, we know what kind of team we have. We just have to uh – continue to come together and uh you know we got to start faster you know these past two games we haven't started as fast as we would like so you know we just have to come out and uh and start fast and finish faster because we know now we're going to get everyone's best shot you know there's no more looking over the bingles there's no more circling the bingles and all yeah this is a for sure win now we're the team that everyone wants to beat so we have to come out and uh and act like it you know these past two games we haven't We haven't started like we wanted to, so, uh, you know, we just have to continue to put our heads down and grind and um, just trust in each other, and, you know, things will start coming together for us. Other than talking about it and emphasizing it, is there any way to try to create a better start, a faster start? Uh, Just not play behind the chains. Um, you know, we've had penalties, we had breakdown protections, whatever it is, we've always just uh, just found a way to shoot ourselves in the foot, and we just have to be, you know, more sound um, and starts in practice you know we have to we have to continue to put together great practices we can't go out and have okay practices or good practices we have to consistently have great practices because you know like I said we're going to get everyone's best shot and we have to match and exceed that intensity week in and week out is the intensity different after you lose a couple in a row I feel like it's up to us to set that intensity like the coaches aren't going to be able to do it um, you know whoever else is going to be able to we have to go out and be intentional about uh, technique and you know being on top of things if someone messes up we have to redo it and that's going to have to come from us because at the end of the day we're the ones out there we're the ones who have to play so um, you know we're really going to have to step up and um, just be intentional about the little things because that's what it always comes down to, you know, whether it's a a little twitch and a false start or, you know, someone doesn't get the right call. We just have to be intentional about the little things. All right. A couple more questions for Samaj P. Ryan. You celebrated a birthday last week.
0: Happy 27th. And the Bengals social media team did something that I found hysterical. They created a Samaj P. Ryan filter so that as your teammates went to wish you a happy birthday, they looked like you. No hair and a big beard. <laughs> well what was your reaction to the Samaj
2: P. Ryan filter? Uh it was definitely interesting. I've <laughs> never seen anything like that before. Um it definitely caught me off guard. But um it was cool. And um, you know, I enjoyed it, um and got a good laugh out of it. But uh, you know, it was it was interesting for sure. <laughs> Sam Hubbard was my
0: personal favorite in the Samaj P. Ryan filter did you have one Um, I
2: would say either Sam or Cheeto those two they they got caught off guard the most I would say that was it was pretty funny it was good stuff all right final question I haven't had a chance to
0: ask you this since the Super Bowl final offensive play Joe's getting hit by Aaron Donald he kind of shot puts one in your direction that looked uncatchable from the TV angle, but was it close? Was it tantalizingly, you know, hanging in the air? Um,
2: I feel like if it was uh, in the air for another half a second, Mm. it would have been close. Um, And I've seen everyone, oh, yeah, if you would have dove, you would have caught it. If you would have did this, you would have caught it. But it's like if you weren't there and if you weren't in that position, like, how you going to tell me what I could have done? And even if I would have caught it, I still wouldn't have got the first down, so it wouldn't have mattered in the first place. But, uh, you know, I uh watched it, watched it again, thought about all the different things, talked to coaches, you know, about if they saw something different. And everyone here is on the same page, so I've moved on from it. You know, I haven't. Gave it any second thought um, because I know if I do, it's just gonna, it's just gonna, you know, eat at me, and I ain't got no time for that. You know, we have to go out and try to get back there, and that starts with, uh, you know, getting our first win of the season. I appreciate your time. Thank you very much, and best of luck against the Jets. I appreciate it. Thank you.
0: Samaje so, has averaged 4.6 yards per carry since joining the Bengals in 2019. The Bengals Booth Podcast is brought to you by Kettering Health, the official health care provider of the Bengals. With more than 120 care facilities and 1,500 care providers, Kettering Health is committed to guiding you to your best health. Visit KetteringHealth.org to learn more. Time to discuss the Bengals offensive line. Through two games, Cincinnati has surrendered 13 sacks. That's three more than any other team and going back to the playoffs, Joe Burrow has been sacked at least six times in four of their last five games. La'El Collins had a tough time against Micah Parsons last week and did not practice on Wednesday due to a sore back. Here's Dave Lapham.
4: He basically missed training camp with the back problem. And honestly, he has struggled because he's gone against two really outstanding edge rush guys all you have is T.J. Watt, Defensive Player of the Year in Week 1. And then in Week 2, you had a guy who was runner-up. He was the Defensive Rookie of the Year and runner-up to T.J. Watt as Defensive Player of the Year. Micah, Micah Parsons. Parsons. Yep. And, you know, it's like that's, that's pretty good tandem to start out with. But honestly, I, I'm wondering, his be- he looks to me like he's a little stiff, you know, like he's not as fluid. As uh, as he probably will be, as he takes more and more snaps, but they are going to monitor how much they work him. I mean, obviously the, the back. It's it's I don't I'm not sure how much who knows I, the only one that knows is LC. How much pain is there? There's probably some, but I think stiffness is a big issue, and in uh, watching him move, it look that looks to be the case a little bit. I, I still think, though, that this guy is a powerful man that can run block and drive block. I would, uh, I would not think it would be a bad concept to let him do that against the New York Jets. Let him come off the line of scrimmage, knock people backwards, knock them down, try to get that running game going. And you know, honestly, Joe Mixon, Joe Mixon leads the National Football League in carries and touches, so they are. It's not like they're. Okay, we're not we're not getting the ball to Joe Mixon. They're giving him plenty of opportunities, but plays aren't being executed by all eleven guys um, regularly enough for him to put up significant yards. He's eleventh in the league in rushing, with the most carries, you know, in the league. So it can all get better. There's no doubt about it. And I'd like to see L.C. just become, you know, let him be a road grader at that right tackle position in the run game.
0: The Bengals addressed the offensive line by signing three proven free agents and drafting Cordell Volson, but so far the results haven't been great. I asked Lapp if he's seen anything that gives him hope that the line will eventually be as good as anticipated.
4: I honestly think that the interior center and guards, uh, particularly in this last game, I thought they played pretty decently as a group. Now the problems came on the edge and Micah Parsons was the biggest problem on the edge. But in the opening, you had T.J. Watt and you had Highsmith, who both were issues on the edge. Um, so I, I, I think once that starts getting solidified, you know, it's like five playing as one. That's what you have to have. If you only got three playing as one or four playing as one, it's just it's not going to work. So, you know, I, it, to me, it's all about unlocking a running game. A running game would be a cure-all. Because the offensive line would start to be the aggressor instead of retreating and trying to give ground grudgingly and, and counteract everything. You know, instead of a counterattack, you're attacking. And it's a, it's a much different mindset. There's no two ways about it. So I, I think if, if you get them coming off the line of scrimmage, you get, uh, you know, Joe Mixon, into the second and third level of a defense, punishing people a little bit. Then you can mix in play, action, pass. Uh, and, and then everything opens up. It all opens up. So I'd like to see Joe Burrow on your center, run that football, and then play, action, pass off of it with Joe on your center. More than they've been doing. You know, I, I, I think it has to, you have to go back almost to, not square one, but you have to go back a little bit and, and say, let's simplify Let's, let's not overload anybody with, with, uh, with too much mentally because that's another problem they've had is communication breakdown. You know, Drew Sample and LC had a communication problem that allowed Parsons just yeah. to come untouched. You know, I mean, Micah Parsons, number 11, you that's, you, you got to have at least one, maybe two, maybe three on him. <laughs> not none. Not none. And that, uh, you know, that miscommunication is an issue. So, again, what, what it is is the Bengals, bottom line, have to take themselves off their schedule. They have to do what they did last week in terms of not turning the ball over and get, get it off of the opponent. And they got one, but they could have gotten four. But that was an improvement from minus five. There's no doubt about that. Now you have to curtail the penalty problem and, you know, and then communicate, recognize and communicate properly. So it's all self-destruction stuff. And, and, you know, self destruction, you're your own worst enemy. You're a bigger enemy than the opponent. You take yourself off your schedule, you got a chance.
0: The Bengals are currently tied for last in the league in turnover margin at minus four with the Indianapolis Colts, another team still looking for its first win. The Bengals Booth podcast is brought to you by Paycor. More than 29,000 customers trust Paycor to help them recruit, pay, engage, and retain employees. Learn more at paycor.com. Time for a closer look at this week's opponent. The New York Jets have not gone to the playoffs in the last 11 years, a stretch that's featured four head coaches and four GMs. But over the last two years, they've been the league's third biggest spender in free agency, and they've had a bunch of high draft picks, including three first-rounders this year. Rich Samini, who covers the Jets for ESPN, joined Lap and me on Wednesday night as we hosted the Bengals Game Plan Show from Patrick's Sports Bar and
5: Grill. I, I do think they're on the right track. You know, they have a lot of young talent on the team, uh, starting with a young quarterback who obviously won't play this week but could be back next week. You saw Garrett Wilson against Cleveland just have a, a huge game with a couple of touchdowns. So they, they are building something. I, I, just, I don't know how long it's going to take if you ask a Jet fan. They feel like this has been happening since, you know, the Jurassic era because it it seems like a perpetual rebuild. But I I do think there are some signs of progress.
4: What about what about defensively, Um, Rich? I know offensively got some weapons defensively. They've been built through the draft and also free agency. What's the defensive improvement look like in your eyes?
5: Yeah, they have a, a lot of uh, younger players as well, including, your, you guys know him well, Sauce Gardner from Cincinnati is starting. He's playing pretty well uh, so far as a rookie. He, he has a really bright future. They're very high on him. And so it's a new look secondary. They have three new starters in the secondary. And they have had some miscommunications. last couple of first couple of games, they've given up a, a touchdown in each game where they had a, a blown coverage in the secondary. So they're going through some growing pains back there. They have a really good, deep defensive line. They go about eight or nine deep on the defensive line. Now, the results have not been there. Um, They only have two sacks. The defensive line has only two sacks right now. I know they're disappointed with that. That includes Carl Lawson, uh, uh, obviously a familiar face to Bengals fans, Uh, coming back from a a devastating Achilles injury. I don't think he's back 100% yet. He's going through some – tipping off some of the rust. So I think he'll get better as the season goes on. So I think this defense has not played up to its potential yet, but, I, you know, I still think they're growing into it.
0: ESPN's Rich Samini is our guest. The fact that the Jets only have a couple of sacks is uh, well-received by the Bengals fans uh, here at Patrick yeah. Sports Bar and Grill since Cincinnati has surrendered 13 right. in the first two weeks. But what about pressure? Sometimes the sack stat can be a little deceiving, teams are still pressuring the quarterback hitting the quarterback is that deep defensive line at least applying a decent amount of pressure
5: uh that's a very good question dan and i wish i could give you like a a great answer uh like a positive answer but the fact is no they have not been generating a lot of pressure either Uh, i checked all their analytics stats and the pressure numbers are down as well and uh so they, they just haven't been producing they openly admit that they just haven't been Really clicking as a defensive line yet? I will say that I uh, they're well aware of the 13 sacks of Joe Burrow. In fact, I was talking to a couple of them today, and Sheldon Rankins, their defensive tackle. I asked them, "Are you excited to face Joe Burrow?" And his eyes kind of lit up, and he goes, "Absolutely. Whenever you face a team that's given up that many sacks, of course you want to play them." He goes, "So we're kind of licking our chops right now. So it's an interesting matchup. You got the two sack Jets versus the 13 sack allowed Bengals." Something's got to give, as they say.
4: Joe Flacco, not your typical backup quarterback. I mean, a guy who was MVP of a Super Bowl-winning team and who's fifth in, uh, in yards, thrown for over 42,000, close to 43,000 yards, fifth among active quarterbacks, 232 touchdown passes, sixth amongst active quarterbacks, and the, and the rally that he had in the final two minutes what, three of his five touchdown passes have come in the final two minutes of the first two football games. That's, that's almost unbelievable. It's almost unheard of. I don't think there's a, another quarterback in the league that has more than one.
5: Yeah, it's, it's been a strange two weeks for Joe Flacco. If you, if you polled Jet fans after the opening loss to Baltimore, they wanted him gone. I mean, they wanted Mike White back in the lineup. Uh, Bengals fans, of course, will not fondly remember Mike White from last year. But they wanted White in. They were done with Flacco. They thought he was just washed up. And now those same fans have a different tune this week because Joe played great. He was the first Jet quarterback in 20 years to have 300 yards passing and four touchdowns in a game. Got to go all the way back to Vinny Testaverdi wow. for that. And so, you know, he had, he had a fantastic two minutes. I mean, he just was on fire in the last two minutes of Sunday's game, and he will, you know, obviously he's going to start again this week. And it's funny just how the the, the winds have shifted in New York on Joe Flacco.
0: Rich, my final question has to do with C.J. Uzama, uh, finally remembered for his time in Cincinnati. I think Bengals fans were bummed when he wound up signing with the Jets, but but understood why he got a big contract from the Jets. I looked at week one, didn't have a target in a game where Flacco completed 39 passes didn't have that many snaps in comparison to Tyler Conklin. I know he was out last week with a hamstring injury, but if healthy, is he the number 2 tight end? What what is the deal with CJ Uzama right now with the Jets?
5: Yeah, that's a very interesting case because obviously the big contract. I think he I think it's like 8 or 9 million a year and and he had like 23 snaps in the opener, no targets. I talked to him after the game. I mean, he seemed a little frustrated by it. Tyler Conklin has been their number one receiver. When they're in 11 personnel with uh, one back and one tight end and three receivers, it's Tyler Conklin. Conklin has been their receiving tight end. So I think they see C.J. as really more of a blocker And when they're in 12 personnel. So I, I don't know if that's the role he envisioned when he signed here, but I think that's the role they have planned for him. And I do think he will play this week. He, uh, he missed last week with the hamstring, but he did practice today, limited. And you have to believe he wants to play his former team. So I think things are trending in that direction for him to play on Sunday.
4: You mentioned the uh, the game against the Jets. Mike White at quarterback. I remember him checking the ball down to running backs and them running forever after catch. And uh, Lou and yeah. Rumo addressed it today and said, you know, that gave too much space to the running backs you know didn't press up uh, close enough on the reception of the football and that was a big issue and i'm looking at flacco and the way he's utilizing his running backs the running backs have 20 catches already tied for most in the nfl as a position group at running back 118 receiving yards 11th in the nfl joe flacco I mean, it's almost like an extension of the ground game, the way he looks to be utilizing those running backs checking it down to him, doesn't it?
5: Uh, absolutely. It's a great point. You know, but Joe's been just throwing a lot. You know, uh, he's got 103 pass attempts in two games, right. and I, I checked on that. That is it's astounding for any quarterback, let alone a 37-year-old guy who really doesn't move too well. Uh, it's like it's the second most for the first two games, in the, in the Super Bowl era. The only guy who's thrown it more in the first two games, it was Brian Seitz, uh, had like 110 attempts way back in the early 80s. And so I think the Jets really want to lower that. Obviously, they don't want to put Flacco in harm's way that many times a game. And so he does throw to the back. He likes to spread it around. Look, he's a smart quarterback. He's won a Super Bowl, and he knows where to go with the football. Now, does he get it out all the time? no. Uh, can he escape a pass rush? No. So if the Bengals get pressure on him, they're liable to sack him or force him into a bad decision. But uh, he knows where to, when he has time, he's still an effective quarterback. Joe Flacco
0: started 20 games against the Bengals when he was still in Baltimore. The Bengals went 11-9 and in those games, and Flacco had a passer rating in the low 70s. Sunday's game kicks off at 1 o'clock. Our pregame coverage will begin at 11.30 a.m. Before I wrap things up, Here's an invitation to join us at the Wings and Rings Beachmont location for the Bengals Pep Rally Show this Friday from 3 to 6. Special teams captain Michael Thomas will join us in the final hour, and we'll have plenty of giveaways throughout the show. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, presented by Alta Fiber, future-proof fiber internet. Elevate your connection with Alta Fiber. By Kettering Health, the official health provider of the Bengals. By Bengals Picks and Ultimate Bengals. They're free to play with tickets and signed merchandise up for grabs. And by Paycor, the official HR software provider of the Bengals. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to this podcast. And if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find us. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.